Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with another episode. We crossed the 70 threshold and we're in 71. It's a big, uh, big date. March Madness time. We're into March. Spring is here. Martha, what's up, man? So today we're doing a special episode, bro. This is Pilot Boys Spring Break. You know, <laughs> via Cancun for this episode. And uh, we're having on a special guest, my roommate and great friend, Nafis Azad. Also, great friends with V. Um, Nafis is somebody that I've known from when I lived in Columbus, who at a young age was a really successful tech entrepreneur and then kind of shifted into uh, being more on the founder side of things in the last few years. And so now he's one of the co-founders of a company called Lucky Labs, which um, I've invested in and I believe in. It's a pretty cool company. You should check them out. Uh, Nafis is also a fellow aficionado of um, California, of LA, of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the beliefs that our group shares. So it's fun having somebody onto the show that can really provide like a friendly perspective that's fun, confident, and, you know, just offers something new. Um, so we'll probably have him on the show a little bit. And tonight we all kind of partied it up a little bit. So this is the late night, Special edition Pilot Boys Spring Break. Nafis, thank you for joining us, bro. Yeah, thank you for having me. Honestly, it's, uh, you know, I've been supporting the Pilot Boys movement for a while now and seeing what you guys have been doing. So it's cool to jump on board and work with you guys live. I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting in the conversation. To me, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing that fact that we can even just still record an episode, even though we're in different parts of the world. So happy the technology is advanced to the point where we can do this. Uh, So it's, it's going to be fun, man. You can work from anywhere, even on vacation. Exactly. I mean, me and Parker (laughs) are just one room over, (laughs) but we're calling Uh, this is, this is the first time where uh, I think we've recorded a podcast and I can legitimately say that you should be jealous of the weather over here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so that's v, bro what took you to cancun right man it's just needed a break i think it's uh i think the last year i'm someone who likes to travel a lot generally and move around and experience and learn as much about the yeah, world man. um and different cultures as possible it's like always been a thing for me but also it's like when you do get confined when you are someone who's used to moving around a lot and you get confined for an extended period of time um and on top of that just everything that everyone's dealing with stress because of this pandemic everyone's lives have changed everyone's carrying different different burdens you know everyone's been impacted directly health-wise by by the virus you know um and it's kind of flipped people's lives upside down so through that, you know, and then also like when you're working as an entrepreneur, it's like you are not ever giving yourself a break, right? Your your mind is always clouded by so many different things. And when your mind gets super clouded, your vision gets clouded too. And, 
that's the thing is like you got to have unwind and take a break and just try your best to just disconnect from everything from time to time. I know Partha, you're you're a big believer in that as well. And then you know, I, you know, we believe culturally in the water. You know, being near the water, the sun, what that does to even your 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 headspace. You know, what I mean, what is the what's the cultural side of that belief? I mean, we have a uh, you know, there are multiple holy bodies of water within our religion, right? That you consistently um, people feel like when you go to the water, you get cleansed. You know, your spirit gets cleansed. Everything gets cleansed, and it's funny because in India, you see despite the pollution issues, people going to the Ganges and cleansing themselves still with that, with that, with that, um, with that dirty water. So it's like when you get to the ocean and you realize that it's, it's, it's spiritually, spiritually something as well. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not super versed enough. Uh, you probably know better than, than me considering you're the, you're the, you're supposed to be the religious, religious expert in our caste system. Oh, yeah, I know, right? Well, yeah. Nafis and I were out over at the beach a, a few nights ago, and we were talking about the ocean. It's like, it's kind of terrifying because, like, if you take yeah. away the water, bro, like, these are some deep ass canyons. Like, that's scary yeah. as shit. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's yeah, scary. no, I, I, it's, it's honestly, we're sitting there just looking at how vast it goes on you. The Pacific is just so long and deep. And, like, it's it's one thing with, like, you know, everyone talks about we don't know what's at the deepest parts of the ocean. I think it's just treacherous that there's just miles and miles of unknown, regardless of where you look at it, from the surface to the depth. Like, the ocean is beautiful, but it's a little, it's something about, like, the uh, the unknown of it is kind of, we like, alluring. We just don't know anything about what's down there. Yeah. yeah, and then also, you know, it's, it is, we've, I don't know if you guys have ever been on, like, a cruise or anything like that yeah. when you're, out in the literally you know you're in the middle of nowhere and it's just water yeah. everywhere and if you you know it's it is a little bit overwhelming to think about and like you said the depth of it we were talking about this that today in terms of the waves you know seeing how the waves the depth of the how the depth of water even changes right yeah. it goes from deep enough to be in to just, okay <laughs> if you're not michael phelps you better not be at this level yeah. <laughs> right, right. and then it's like every no matter who you are if you get far enough you're not going to survive kind of swim in the ocean did, that you guys, did you hear about this whale recently no there was like this big i forget what type of whale but apparently it's the largest what we thought was the largest species in the ocean it showed up on the beach it washed up completely clean bitten in half how did that Jeez. happen Jaws, the real apparently life. There's some, apparently, there's something much bigger down there than That's what we thought crazy. was the largest. Yeah, there had. We should. You think we noticed that just through the waves and stuff in the water? If yeah. there's something that gigantic, it must be. Just think about low. how deep that would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, That's I would like never. Some... Would you? Would you guys go in one of those cages? Or, you know that they have on uh, Discovery, like the shark cages that you go down. Nope. They, I would never do that. I, I, no. I would be, I, Fuck that. If, if I was 100% sure it was not going to break, I would kind of enjoy the experience, but I, I would never be like, I mean, I've just seen those literally break on YouTube and like, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's just frightening. <laughs> I mean, I almost drowned twice as a kid. So really? I can't. Yeah. yeah so I have, I barely even like getting under, like when I, I get kind of paranoid when I dip my head under the water for mm -hmm. too long. 
It's I like, like swimming, but I'm not good at it. So like, I'm trying, I actually was telling Parth, I'm trying to take some lessons out here. Cause I want to be like, you know, out in the water all the time, but it's why? scary. We don't navigate normally in the water. Why is it so hard? Why is it so, so much harder to learn how to swim as an adult? Is I don't it, know. That's you, look at people that's, you look at people that are good at swimming and it's so easy to them. I mean, it can't be that hard to learn, it's, but no, when you're an adult, it's, they, it's, it is, it is harder. Like I still don't, I know how to stay afloat. But I still don't know how to swim. Is I think it's like our body structure. Like, cause you know, we have more muscle and fats on us. I feel like it's easier to learn when you just have nothing on your body. Yeah. But you know, it's the same with language. They learn the best time to learn languages is what at two, I guess when right. your brain is developing, it's really easy. English wow. is actually speaking of which, can you guys believe how much harder English is to learn than almost any other language? None of the rules make any sense. There's no consistency. <laughs> other languages, there's like six rules and then you just put yeah. the characters together and it works. Yeah. yeah. It's such an interesting thing that decided to, like, they decided to make that, right? Like yeah. the language of the world. It's like, okay. And the, th and the thing is, like, it, even our English is different than the Queen's English, right? Like British English. Have you seen the videos on YouTube? Sometimes they do these videos where they talk as if English would have been back then, where like the sounds are the same, but the words are unrecognizable. It's like a trip. And there, yeah. it's like, it's the same as those videos. That's like, this is what English sounds like if um, you've never heard the language before. Because you know yeah. how we like hear French and we're like, wow, what a beautiful language. Or like Spanish, right. we have a vibe with like, with English, it's like such a different kind of energy. It's super weird. It's different too. It's like we're the only country that doesn't use the metric system too. It's mm -hmm. like we're intentionally difficult for some <laughs> reason or other, you know. That's, that's probably one of our worst principles, like <laughs> <laughs> just to create like a whole uh, problem with conversion for the rest of history. Yeah, and it's, it's the little things. If you see like, you know, I, and I, it bothers me sometimes, like you'll see American tourists in other countries where English isn't the primary language and the entitlement that they have, like people are, everyone in the world is supposed to know English and be able to communicate with you yeah. is, is hilarious. It's yeah. hilarious. Now, I think it's, I mean, we all probably feel the same where we've gotten to know like our mother language really beautifully. And like, you know, I mean, you can't just isolate one language. It's like everyone invests into their own language for a reason. Like yeah. it's so indicative of culture. It's surprising yeah. people don't want to go there. I, that's what I want to experience when I travel internationally. I want to see like the nuances of how people communicate and how they use their language. Yeah. Just forcing English upon everyone. Yeah. And it's, and it's good to really know that you can go somewhere else and, and if you needed to, you could survive. That's why traveling and seeing different cultures again is so valuable and important because it gives you a grounded perspective on, okay, not everyone, if you go to one part of the world versus a different part of the world, people think completely differently. They behave completely differently. The laws are completely different. And when you realize that, you also understand that there's no necessarily one way or one culture. Yeah. Um, they find happiness in that context. Yeah. Just yeah. like we try to. Yeah. Well, and you know yeah. what it's like without being exposed to another culture, how can you even know what values your culture is built on? Because mm -hmm. if it's the only thing you know, you don't actually know what you stand for as a person. Mm. Well, mm -hmm. and one thing I will say about America is it's it's starting. It's one of the you know the things that become difficult when 
you're talking about capitalism, right? Like culture and capitalism are kind of <laughs> clash quite a bit. And I honestly think the United States is, is more of a market than it is a culture, right? Because there's so many different cultures, but there's not people, people don't truly inter interact across cultures or across religions. It is very divided. You know, yeah, it's yeah, just, we all live together. You know, there isn't something that's a single identifier of American culture to me, you know? It's interesting. Yeah. I, I'd agree. I mean, of course, we're this big melting pot, but I, I do think like maybe we're, we are a young country in that sense. Like you look at these other countries, if we look at what's happening in Asia or Europe, I mean, they do have so much history to look back on. I'm sure in a couple hundred years, there'll be something a lot more boldly American. But right now it is weird. I think it's our generation ahead of us, like our kids that could ease, more easily define that because they're not, yeah. they're going to be so connected to this country rather than the home country. Yeah. 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 There is a unique kind of uh, like country vibe that we have. You know what I mean? Like the, uh, the kind of like Texas forever vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Like Americanic culture. Yeah. That's what yeah. I would consider. Yeah. It is it is very American. I mean, you can't discount that, right? If it doesn't exist anywhere else, I mean, it is an American culture. Yeah. But it's it's not like the, I mean, it is interesting because you will look at other countries and they have this super consistent influence amongst all people. And right. we don't necessarily have that. It's anything that we have, it's a result of like what you're saying, market or media manipulation. It's kind yeah, of like, they're... well, I was going to say, it's kind of like those, you know, those brands that like they retain a brand by not having any rules in how they do their branding. Like mm -hmm. America is kind of that rule breaker country where it's yeah. like, what's your culture? Well, we have 3000, you know, what's the best food here? Well, it's either Mexican food or pizza. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> neither of them are American. Like yeah. it's a weird place in terms of well, how it operates. Well, you also realize like there's no country really that's driven this much by consumption and marketing and and consumer marketing specifically right mm -hmm. to and then also you realize when you travel the world this is the only country where we have the type of credit system that exists in most countries if you don't have the money to buy something you can't buy it here Ooh, yeah. it's, everyone's driven to consume 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 and so money kind of becomes has become like the culture more than anything else and i don't think you know i don't think that that's that's i'm not trying to knock it it's just it is the identity of the country more so than any other that, place in the world do you think that making money the culture is a trick that people use to stay in power mm -hmm. i think it is yeah it is it is a distraction because i think all three of us have kind of learned like money is currency right it is what it it needs to be used it needs to have utility it took me a long time to learn that and unlearn our cultural i know happened our parents came over with literally nothing mm -hmm. and the scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset which we've been privileged enough to have um it's it's a it's a it's a huge kind of uh, thing you do need to have money to be able to do the things that you want to do but if you haven't first asked yourself the question, what are the things that I want to do and what are what are needs versus wants um, for yourself and you just let society and culture dictate what that is for you, then yeah. that's that's when you get lost and when you get trapped, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. You, 
I think the biggest like evil is when media and money manipulates the things that you think are your passions and wants. Yeah. Money, there's always going to be a wall between money and certain things that we want. But if we actually want it, we're actually passionate about it. Then we should earn the money to go get it. Yeah. And there's this, there's this thing that, um, it's funny. I took from, um, Deepak Chopra, actually his seven spiritual laws of success where it, he really explained it as money is energy. Right. And, you need to keep money flowing. It doesn't mean be unwise and frivolous and just, you know, but, you know, if you give and you put something out, it's going to reciprocate and come back mm -hmm. to you. That and is I, so true, bro. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. We were just talking about that earlier. Kinda. That's, that yeah. is when you truly accept it, an abundance mentality that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that the world is full of abundance. It's That's like you, such a nice way to put that, to tie a bow on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, nice, it's uh it is it is and that's that's the thing is i think there are issues if you if you hoard it and then there's also another thing it's also about the intention that you put behind money right there are people who spend money specifically with an intention behind it of what they're going to get in return for spending yeah. that money you have to also disassociate disassociate that you still got to pay your bills and make sure you have a budget but yeah you know, for example, if you're on vacation, don't go to vacation, go on vacation if you're worried about if you have financial stress or if the vacation is going to financially stress you out because then that, then it's going to ruin the purpose of the vacation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. You have yeah. to have a healthy relationship with money. I was There's this book, I think I have it around here somewhere, Happy Money, and it's like about learning to appreciate i haven't finished it but it's like about learning to appreciate your money and like really value that when you spend money on something you're receiving something like intrinsically valuable to yourself on that and it really matters yeah it I is just a currency i read this yeah. one book called um um how rich people think mm -hmm. way back is the first first book i ever read to like try and improve myself and uh i don't i don't even remember the author is this guy who lived in georgia and um it was it was a short read it was just like he was like hey i interviewed you know a bunch of millionaires like a hundred of them and i learned how they think and i created a set of beliefs that they have and i compared it with a set of beliefs that i feel middle class people have and mm -hmm. the first page was trading time for money versus trading value for money and it was like the most important thing i ever read because yeah. trading value for money showed me like a different way to understand that like money would flow in right yeah it like changes the paradigm a little bit in mm -hmm. terms of how earning works because so many mm -hmm. people think like you grow up being trained that you like work your way up like the grade system like you get to a certain point in high school you have like seniority and college you have seniority so it's like this constant cycle of like they put you at the bottom, make you work to the top and they do it again. Every single tier has ranks and like all the lengths of time are like four or five years. It's all anybody can take doing something they don't want. Right. Without the yeah. satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So like I feel like you just get trapped in that cycle and like understanding value for money. It's like, oh, wait, I can just jump like to wherever the heck I want to if I can create that much value. OK, right. dope. Let me learn how to create value instead of learning you know, any particular skill. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny. I apply that to what both of you guys have done, 
right? Like one of the the biggest biggest scams running, I think, is the college education because there are a lot of degrees and concentrations in which you look at how much these universities are charging people to go to college, right? 50,000 a year, 60,000 a year. That's part of the, the trap as well. If you don't know, if you're not necessarily going to college and for a very specific degree plan that's going to get you an ROI, you can, and it doesn't apply practically to what you're doing business-wise, then you have to ask yourself that question of, well, is this education worth it to me? That idea of like, you have to get a college degree isn't necessarily true because that is, you realize that that's part of the system. Unless you come from generational wealth where your family can afford to pay for you to go to college, that debt that every person goes into in college, for the most part, they spend a lifetime paying back, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You, you, you know, there's a sign that I used to see a lot at like startup events and like a lot of the finance events that I used to go to where there were like signs and it was like you wore like entrepreneur or like venture capitalist. And one of the titles was always independently wealthy. Yeah. And I, I was just like, I want to be independently wealthy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just such a vibe to it. Like, Oh shit. Like you don't need anyone. You don't need anything. Like you're just good. Right, that that right. there's another word the accredited investor that's the yep. other thing mm-hmm. yeah you know once you can become an accredited investor you've you've done you've done what you've needed to do to dictate the rules and how you engage in your own life with your own life like right now it's tuesday tuesday night if i was working a nine to five job i couldn't be on vacation on a tuesday but I like going on vacation during the week because it's not as busy. I want peace of mind more than anything else. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's the flexibility and freedom to kind of build your own schedule um, and, and dictate the rules of your life, I think, is, is kind of the, the fabric that binds entrepreneurs together. You have to have control over mm-hmm. your time. Yeah. Once, as you give each person in your life like a corporation i've worked in that world it's like they dictate what you do and when you do do it yeah you know and i think you just said it takes people if you don't love what you're doing the maximum you can do it is five years he said four to five years that's what i think dude i had this mentor early who like his name's jp he was in atlanta and uh he used to always just like have these like all these learnings like he would just like drop them as gems whenever i was like whenever he would notice that my mentality was Mm -hmm. off it was like the most helpful thing so like he said very early i was like man i'm just trying he's like how you doing i was like i'm trying to manage my time he was like he would always just be like stop like don't manage your time manage your energy yeah and it's just like these little things right that like all of us you said um, we're sensitive about our time and we are, but we're yeah. more sensitive about our energy. We don't mm-hmm. let yeah. people around that drain our energy regardless no. of how much time they take. And I no. think that's an important, you know, that's an important distinction to make on top of that. Yeah. yeah and if, okay. if he's, I was going to ask you, this is a uh, cutting into, I know both of you guys specifically, you know, I know uh, your family's from, from Bangladesh mm-hmm. and, you know, education is something that is stressed 
it is it is said you have to get a college degree if you don't you know everything is dictated by that you kind of at 16 decided that that wasn't it for you um how did you kind of balance that and then also be able to understand what it is that you wanted at that age you know at mm. 16 to the point where you're like the rest of this isn't isn't important this is what's important this is where i need to focus my energy on because focus is also uh an important variable in success and you seem to have found that early yeah you know i think that it's definitely two part just like it's like two questions i think that happened in two parts and like i do i think where i was at as a 16 year old it's kind of what you were talking about where you're saying like you know as a when you're in college and you go through that process you're kind of indoctrinated into that system I think really early on for me, and I think a lot of people are starting to see things more this way now. I think it's a little bit more of a normalized behavior, but it's recognizing that there's multiple systems you can play into. And I think yeah. I realized that really young where I was like, you know, it, I think everyone wants some sort of system or idea or process to invest into. And there's just the most obviously defined ones that most people take. But I think there's a ton that we could kind of experiment with and, and take opportunities with. And I guess that's like, being you know a risk taker to some people but i do think to me that's always just been natural um, yeah but i think finding focus and purpose happened as a result of that you know investing into a process that felt right and then i think you find like focus and purpose over time i think that's something that shifts for me every couple of years like the thing that drove me to get to where i was when i was younger and that focus and purpose is different than where i want to get to now and i think the focus and purpose that i need need now but i think the, the consistent element is realizing that even at this stage of my career in life, like the system that I prescribed to to get here could probably be contorted or I could jump into another system that gets me to a different place in life. You know, I think that's probably the. What, 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 was, what was your primary motivation then to make money? So the, Not, early yeah, on, early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be, like, to be self-sufficient financially, was that it? That like, was probably was, an important part. Um, money was obviously something that like, I was after, but like the thing is like, I was never, I don't know. I met a lot of younger entrepreneurs that were probably more money hungry than me. Um, like, I don't think I was viscerally money hungry. I think like I was smart enough to know that, and especially just like, you know, I didn't grow up in like a rich family. So I think like when you don't have something, you can, you're going to quantify your goals around that. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of chased after money a little bit, but it was probably more so like what you were saying, which is like, I, I realized that what I wanted in my life was probably like, more leverage and self-sufficiency and, and the power that comes with that. And like, I think money's an easy stepping stone to get started with. But I think I learned really quickly, like the actual tools that I would wield that will get me to where I am is probably not directly related to money. It's probably a lot more around knowledge and, you know, uh, inspiration. And those things, I think, you know, money gets you closer to at least. Yeah. Again, money is a vehicle, right? It allows it you it allows you to go from uh, a business in your garage to having an office. Like there are actually real things that money yeah. does for you. And, and part that I think you realize have realized this specifically over the last few years, going from uh, this being your dream and your dream alone to now understanding that you need to have a team, you need to have, um, have, have grow beyond like just, 
individual girls and and expand outside of those right dude like legitimately nifis and i were talking earlier about that and it's like the further you go the less you feel like you're working because yeah. you start to find like your true purpose and passion and that's an enjoyable version of yourself to be right mm -hmm. like for example like the tactical side of that would look like you know there's a decision i have to make on strategy or there's like yeah. some various things happening and i'm trying to think through many different variables at once like taking a walk going for a workout things that i already like doing are what i do when i have things on my mind right so it's mm -hmm. like when there's more problems to solve there's more in your mind and more problems to solve is the luxury of being at scale where you have many many more people executing many things at once so you're taking in a lot more variables so you need more time to mull it over and think to yourself and like so for me that's like a very enjoyable place to be so like my way that i construct the business around myself is to facilitate me being me as much as possible because mm -hmm. that's the, the thing that i do that nobody else can do is like be authentic to me right yep. and it's like i feel like that is such a it's such a shift in terms of how you think about work and like money and everything in general because money is a byproduct of that in my opinion so yeah. it's like as you get closer to finding your you know your truth and what you do every day and like maximize how much time you spend on that you make more money because you're doing something that's truly unique to you and that's and it, that's what makes it valuable yeah and it takes it takes a certain type of balls too to kind of say i'm i believe in myself and my vision mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if and it, you kind of build this belief system in yourself also culturally how entrepreneurship is is built is you're relying on yourself right i would say it takes and, faith it doesn't take yeah. balls it just takes faith because if yeah. you have whether it's in a higher power whether it's in yourself faith mm -hmm. in some this, this we were talking about this on the way home from the gym right. i think faith is one of the most important variables because faith implies that you have hope and hope drives action toward yeah. a goal i mean in the 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 unwavering faith right no matter yeah. what's what's going on around you that you have decided on what your vision is and if and, you have true faith you don't yeah. have scarcity mindset because you truly believe that everything you dream for dream of is on the way so you act in that way mm -hmm. yeah and you also it, it it allows you to avoid a lot of like uh concerns that a lot of people have that you shouldn't really be concerned with like who's going to help me who's you know how am i going to build a team a lot of this right. really comes down to if you have faith and you put your energy out into the world the right people that are supposed to be in your atmosphere are going to come around and if you have that mindset too, and you're not caught up in always thinking about like your needs and like, oh, I need this, I need this, and you just keep working toward your goal and, and fixing whatever issues mm -hmm. you have as they go, eventually it's going to, it's, it's, success is a battle of attrition. I honestly believe that the people who can put up with the most bullshit deal with it because you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have times when you're broke, times when you have money. Like, it's not for the faint of heart. And that's why it goes back to faith. If you don't have strong mm -hmm. faith, 
you're gonna quit and you're gonna you're gonna quit before you even start i honestly like if you don't have that type of faith and then on top of the faith it's like you need a personal detachment from all of those things that you could gain or lose. So it's like, it's cool to have a sick crib or a nice house or like whatever jewelry or whatever you, you like to have, nice clothes, whatever. Dope. But if you had to go back to shopping at Kohl's, if you're equally in the same place, then yeah, it's a pretty good life. You know, that I think that had space where you truly don't actually care whether you have things or not but when yeah. you have the money to have them you do because it's more convenient or it like is a way in which you like perform self-love you know what i mean like treating yourself to a nice like quality of life like i think that's a different way to look at money business mm -hmm. and life in general it's just a different set of values yeah, don't, don't let anyone else kind of dictate what makes you happy yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that I will say having money allows you to do, and I always say this, is that I just want to have fuck you money, you know, mm -hmm. and, and what that means is the type of money where you can dictate what you do when you do it. Where's um, that bar for you, bro? I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a specific number. I have with my background and knowing how money works, I kind of know what that number needs to be. What is it? I mean, if you can if you can get to a net worth of I'd say eight million dollars, mm. and you have controlled spending, you have to have you can't you can't live like that and be going to the the Gucci and Louis store every day and buying six hundred dollar belts and thousand dollar sneakers, right? You can do that. Live a comfortable life for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. If you invest that money properly, right? And you're talking about five to seven, five to seven percent return on that. Now, if you want to really, really live comfortably and have generational wealth, I would say that that number is probably in the 20, 25 plus million range, right? And if you want to really, really be like live life on your own terms, then, you know, it's billionaire status. Like if you want to fly on private jets, own your own island. Like if those are the type of things that you care about, then uh, it's a lot more. But if you just want to live a happy and content life, I think there's a middle ground between the billionaire problems mm -hmm. and the low millionaire problems. That's like the perfect sweet spot for money. If, if money is what drives you, right? Have enough money where you can live where you want to live, eat what you want to eat, travel how you want to travel so long as those things are met and i think it's it, that's why it's so important like you just said partha is to be able to survive if you have to go backwards right even if there are certain things that you're attached to when you have money you need to be okay going backwards right mm -hmm. like if you're able to uh i've i've had times where i've eaten off the i used to plan my meals around like the dollar menu just because i didn't want to waste money you know i knew how to like structure mm -hmm. my diet mm -hmm. where i would only spend five dollars a day you know mm -hmm. yeah and those are things that you have to think by about. the way you can do that uh you can make some like bomb ass fried rice for five dollars a day that'll fill you up all day with some veggies and stuff yeah i've, I've seen that before yeah yeah because it's it, when you the other thing you realize when you're an entrepreneur is that 
any free capital that you have, you feel like you need to be putting toward your business. So if you mm -hmm. are, that's a, that's the, the part of the glory that people don't understand the people. Toward, really, yeah. Towards something, right? Like yeah. you don't like to sit on it. Yeah. You need to be, when you're dependent on yourself, like you, like we said, money is the flow of how business works. You got to stay yeah. moving, right? Yeah. You definitely stay moving. Look at that I, shame, shameless I, plug. Right. Lassogear.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree. I feel like I have like a, as I've gotten just deeper into being an entrepreneur, I get this like really weird itch that I pick from saving money. <laughs> and I, when I was younger, I didn't I used to have that. But now like when I save money, I tangibly see it get saved. It's like, cause you, you know, you're going to use it. Like, you know, like part of those things, it's something that's, that is positive and you're definitely going to use it for that. And so like now saving money, instead of just spending it on a bunch of BS, like, I don't know, you get, you get kind of addicted to that process of eventually just putting it towards something that's going to be better for you than, than some wasteful consumption. Yeah. yeah. And when you actually realize how much you actually need to be happy, if you set a threshold of happiness, for yourself you don't need unlimited disposable income it's it's really about finding things to invest that money in so that later on down the line um you don't have to worry about it at all when you do you know one thing is age is undefeated right like <laughs> you don't want to be mm -hmm. get get to a point where um you're later on in life and you still have to be working um to make a living and that's where mm -hmm. saving and investing and i think also once you actually start making money you realize that money grows very slowly there's mm -hmm. this this belief this lottery mentality of people that think that you can get rich really quickly you can very small number of people do professional athletes lottery winners people like that get get rich quickly but you find in all of those stories the reason that they lose a lot of that money is because they did get rich quickly and they didn't mm -hmm. understand or appreciate how hard it was or vice versa someone yeah. will get rich quickly with eight years of failing before that where they were struggling right exactly. and it's like all of a sudden something clicked right at the yeah. end of year eight yeah yep and that's the that 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 really is is it is understanding the value of money because if you're making if you're making five percent on your money every year or, or if you're getting ten percent that means you, you're making a lot of good decisions yeah you know um and when you understand that what a ten percent margin is it's like okay well i gotta be really smart with how i spend my money and invest my money as well while i'm in the earning phase of my life you know that's yeah. very true i agree my yes. guess, bro. i was gonna say my, my buddy once told me a saying i'll, I'll leave that that he told me uh he said uh a flower that is planted quickly can be uprooted quickly mm -hmm. I really like that. he told wow. me that when i moved out here basically saying you know take your time to get settled in and and do what you want to do out here i think that's true for everything though right like nothing really worthwhile comes from trying to rush anything yeah that's such yeah. a dope saying yeah he said it better to me than that though i'll have to get the exact quote for us yeah you know what it's funny it applies to money and it applies to life the concept of compounding right like mm. partha for you it's been an eight-year grind but the way i i try to frame what you've done is each year 
you've invested and got a return and each year you've compounded that. That's mm. the idea of making small incremental it's just hit a threshold that you could recognize. Then well, you know what's crazy is the uh, the revenue numbers are actually exactly like that. They're like basically, you know, like like it's pretty crazy how it comes together. But I mean, not with that, it's hurdles. Obviously, you know, not yeah. everything is smooth. But like, it's like as you go down, it's like the value you learn to create may grow linearly, but. Mm -hmm as you're applying more and more value, you can only, you can increase the rate at which you compound slightly with your increased abilities and perspectives, but um, you, it still does take quite a while. And you, I think as you age, you get less time sensitive. So like, you know, younger P would probably have been like mad, like stressed about like, I need this done like this month or like in the next week. And it's like, now it's like, if we do it this quarter, you know what I mean? It's like the mm -hmm. perspective shifts because you've lived more life. Yeah. Yeah. It's when you really understand that you have to be patient, no matter, yeah. no matter what you're worried about with time. It's like patience is, mm -hmm. is something either you're going to develop or if you don't develop, you're unlikely to, to, to succeed if you don't yeah. it's specifically in business mm -hmm. yeah um you've got to be you <laughs> you got to be when it's your time it's your time and that's funny about that literally could be within one year or it could be 15 years 20 years like you hear these stories about people like the one i always talk about is jk rowling right mm -hmm. like she didn't the harry potter books didn't explode until she was in her mid-40s yeah and she had been writing her whole life and now she's yeah. a billionaire like from writing some ch kids books but the That's thing that probably she did, not what she thought was going to pop either but right. the thing no but the thing that she had was regardless of whether or not she was big or not for that time period of her life as a fully functioning adult she did not quit writing and she did not give up belief on herself mm -hmm that this is what her purpose in this world was. And that's why eventually battle of attrition. And I think there's two elements to it. So if I were to make an analogy, you have to learn how to build the boat and you have to learn how to tell the weather. Mm -hmm. Those are the two skills you need to build a business. Yeah. So many people focus on learning how to build a boat and they have no fucking idea what the weather is going to be and they crash mm -hmm. and burn. And then so mm -hmm. many people want to talk about the weather but they don't know how to build shit. So it doesn't matter what you think because you didn't prove it, right? Yeah. You didn't put anything on the line. You know, and it's and sometimes you have to you, if you look at the auto industry right now and how if you follow the markets and how things are shifting, now you have Volvo announcing today that they're going to shift their entire fleet by 2030 to all electric. GM has made this announcement when Elon Musk first started this electric car thing, people were saying, oh, he's going to get destroyed by the big, big automakers. They're going to consume them. And now they're responding to what he's doing, you know? Um, and that's why you have to have that unwavering belief. If you know the first Tesla Roadster, it failed. Um, but now you're talking about the big three adjusting to his rules. I could only imagine that 
that type of win, right? Like not from a financial standpoint, but from that type of win in terms of everybody told me that this wasn't going to work, that I was going to get stomped out. And now I'm driving the market. Yeah. And it's not just me, but my technology and my concept and my belief that this was going to be the future is, is, is being rewarded. You know, it's actually nice to see other cars. Now I'm sure he's, he's, still confident in tesla but i'm sure he's he's happy to actually see other people embrace what he believed in early on yeah i think what's amazing though is like he probably appreciates that so much now but if he desired for that feeling he probably would have never got here you know he probably got here from like you said just believing in himself and not setting any expectation to what was going to happen to everyone else as a result yeah i think that's the important thing is that you have to be you have to know what the end goal is but you have to be open to where the journey goes and so like mm-hmm. if he was trying to build this tesla when he started he would have failed but he went for the roadster first and as the technology iterated and got cheaper to make he started to bring the price of the cars down but he was able to build a very premium brand by doing that method as well so it was actually you know solving two problems with one strategy yeah. decision right and mm-hmm. it's like it's a clever way to build a business in a space like that that hadn't been disrupted in a long time. And that seems like it happened more naturally than it did intentionally, you know, mm. because the price of the tech was was such. But um, it's at the same time, like, I think that's that's just an interesting thing to observe how somebody can just, like, focus on doing what is possible in the present. And it, it evolves into something much greater whether he had the desire for it or not, he still had to put all of his energy and focus into what he was doing currently. And I think like that's important for a lot of people because they worry so much about the future, about what if this happens, what if that happens? And they may they like hesitate on decision making in the present because they don't know which path they want to take. And it's like, well, just do what feels right, make the decision, move forward quickly. And let life take you where you're going to go because authenticity will take you towards your goals faster than any other path. But so many people get caught up analyzing and, you know, that's it's just not overanalyzing something is not a great or I'd say productive character trait. You know, what's interesting is like that you, you were talking about people who think toward the future, there's also people who get stuck in the past, right? Like past decisions, how things didn't work out with efforts in the past impacting how you behave in the present and your present decision-making. So you're right. I just wanted to say you were right about people who are too forward thinking. And then there's also people who get caught up thinking about what happened yesterday. Like you have to be in every single day is a new day. Every single, like literally 20 minutes from the next 20 minutes is, is, it's important to, to kind of keep that, keep that in mind. So here's my thing. If you live in the past, you have, you're depressed. You're on the depressed side of things because you're dealing with something that happened before that you have to get over. And if you live in the future, you're anxious because you're worried about what may or may not happen. But both sides of like the mental illness curve can be solved by finding ways to get the mind more present. That's my overall view That's of mental yeah. health. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like we talk about belief in yourself, but it's like belief in your present self. Like what can you actually accomplish today? And 
actually believing that today is the day you should go out and accomplish those things or you can. Everything else is just, uh, yeah, you're right. It's either idealistic or. That's the only thing you, that's the only thing you have control over, right? Your effort today in this moment, your mindset in this moment, that's the only, literally the only thing you have control over. You don't have control over what happens tomorrow. A million variables that are beyond your control could come into play between today and tomorrow. But what you do Mm -hmm. know is what you can do right in this moment in time. Yeah. You know, that's, that's literally all you have. It's hard for people to get past all the layers that they have in between like what you just said and making the decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. Here's where I'm at. Which decision do I I make? And like some people are able to just be like, all right, I'm going to do that one. Next decision. And some Mm -hmm. people hit like five layers of emotional and mental blocks before they even get to deciding one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, people who don't, kind of go through that process though of living in the present and figuring it out you see also like you you guys know the people who have their whole lives planned out when they're like 16 years old like i'm going to graduate i'm going to go to harvard i'm going to get my degree from mama blah i'm going to go from there i'm going to work for a senator and after i work for a senator like that's how it sounds right they have yeah. it all planned out for 10 years and i and me personally, I think that that's a very unfortunate way to live your life mm. because you don't know who you are going to be at, at 22, at age 15, and what you care about, what your priorities are, what you can tolerate, what you can't tolerate. You know, there's so much pressure generally. Like, On okay. that note, I think punctuality is an unhealthy habit outside of the workplace mm-hmm. because I think that you know, professionally, obviously punctuality matters because you're respecting someone else's time. But in a personal standpoint, if you're scheduling out all your free time, like to the hour, mm-hmm. then there's no, there's no life there. You know, that's mm-hmm. how a robot lives. You're not allowing yourself to be a human and like move with whatever, you know, desires you want. Mm-hmm. So I think like overdoing whether it's scheduling or timing for things and like even like res- dinner reservations right like if i'm a few minutes late i'm a few minutes late i'm never stressed about a dinner reservation if i get there too late and they're like hey we gave your table away since you were so late you'll find you something to, else to yeah you exactly. have to stand here okay sure that's like i'm not upset about that you know what i mean like it's life like it's not so serious but when you take all those little things so seriously it just leads to like a very tense mind yeah, mm. you're you're stressed. You're stressed out constantly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> both your guys' situations, it's like you're not giving your present self a chance to even act on its own. You know, whether you're planning things out too much or you're worrying too much about the moment, like uh, that's that's. I mean, and it's in actions like that and conversations too. You know, we always talk about like how people are so reactionary during conversations and they're not able to process things well. Like you talk to certain people and. You know, they just have these these gut reactions to things that are being able to process, and you're not really giving yourself present. You're not giving your present self a chance to take in that information in a fresh way at that moment. You know, what's funny is I I, I say this is that you already know what you think. Why don't you listen to what someone else thinks, right? Like, why exactly. do you right. if you already know what you think? Why do you need to reinforce that? You it's it's almost mm. like it's it's wasted education. It's a wasted time. Yeah. Like you can learn more from listening to a perspective that's that's going to give you a, a fresh set of eyes than you have just mm-hmm. this is what I think. You already know what you think. 
you yeah, it's point, the same as yeah, planning your ahead. life out to me, which is like it's it's planning your your mentality out, and you're not giving yourself yeah. any flexibility around it. Yeah, that, that's that's. We all know. I was gonna say we all know people who struggle with that character trait. It's like you can have like when people are really in their heads, right? Like if they're overthinking or whatever you want to call it. I've been seeing this stuff on TikTok actually. That's why I said overthinking, where they're building like this community of people that call themselves overthinkers. Mm -hmm. Everyone's in there commenting like, "Oh yeah, I'm an overthinker. I'm an overthinker," and I'm just like, "Yo, by (laughs) identifying as this type of person." that's like a that's a bad thing like i would not go on a forum and be like oh like i have a weird walk too you know what i mean like why would you but that's like the internet had like depression flex for so long i feel like yeah, that's kind of a trend but so it's, it's like the that. new one's like i'm over analytical yeah so you've seen it too the type of the type of extremes that social media has created for people it's all about what do i need to do to generate attention bro and also people will be on not, saying i'm thinking about killing myself just yeah. so they get engagement it's, on it's social trying media too hard to find everyone's trying healthy. to normalize everything there's just some yeah. things that shouldn't be normalized there's exactly. just really some things that are like flaws that we should yeah. call flaws man it's not this in-group community that we should all embrace it's like let's find some way to rehab our way out of the situation yeah. and you know what's funny is whenever like i see like these disasters happen on social media i'm like i feel like people are rooting for the worst possible outcome more than they are like a happy and and safe outcome it's like they oh, want wow. it to be the worst possible thing to happen and it's like just so it's like one percent more entertaining for them yes. in terms of a content feed and it's, like it's these, so dehumanizing yeah. <laughs> people are suffering <laughs> and, and you know, i feel watching that guy steve will do it on now yeah. oh yeah it's I like, like hard. I like him a lot, man. I, I met him like once. Great hang. He gave me really good vibes. He was. He's, I met he him. Awesome. He was a really good guy. He was like, uh, I was in Columbus and I took a picture. There was like thirty kids, and I was just pulling up to the gym, and he they're like surrounded. I took a picture for these kids, and I just started walking away. And he's like, "Bro, you want a selfie?" <laughs> I'm like, "Of course I do." <laughs> he's a really good guy, but yeah, no, it's torturous watching what he does to his body all the time for attention. It's like, yeah, dude. It's not worth yeah. it to me to each their own, but well, let, let me ask you guys something because I feel like the idea of the number of followers you have determining whether or not you're viable or not mm. is is kind of weird, right? It's like <laughs> I want to know what people do and why. Like, like is there a purpose to why you have? A million By followers. the way, I think that follower count is losing trend with Gen Z. Yeah, I think so. They don't give a shit how many followers people have. They care more about how unique their content is. Yeah. I think that there's still an implicit like, uh, like metric or currency around follower count. But yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's a good investment to, to try to you know build that as your main form of currency today. But but let me ask you this question, right? It's like it's dictated. A lot of things are dictated by what the market demands. It's mm. very you know, and I think if you're selling something and you know that the metrics show that the number of followers your brand has, that you know the number of likes on a post, the number of comments in a post, 
these things actually do impact buyer yeah. and consumer behavior. But you so know what? Though? How do you they're how not, do you balance those two things? They're not going to be doing brand deals anymore. Everyone's going to shift into running their own brands, so they'll just be working mm. with other consumer brands as like back end. So like I've met so many influencers that are white labeling products. Just mm -hmm. you know, um, our, our friends, um, our friend significant other. Uh, is white labeling something herself and it's just like so interesting to see this like shift in consumer behavior and essentially consumer brand building to be centered around community building so like to your point the following count matters less but the engagement especially comments and like actual interaction matters a lot more because if you have a million followers there's a chance you if you launched your own brand you would make zero dollars or maybe like five hundred dollars a month that happens to a lot of influencers who just built on their bodies just by looking attractive yes. yeah. but and, when you have actual community and story and uniqueness and character you can actually sell products show the pilot boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com you're listening to the pilot boys podcast hey guys this is partha you might know me as a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. Lasso is a high-performance lifestyle brand that makes a Lasso Sock 2.0, the most functional sock ever to help you stay moving on any adventure you choose. Lasso uses patented compression technology with scientifically proven ankle stability to support key ligaments and tendons as well as moisture-wicking materials and built-in strike padding, so every single step is stable, soft, and cool. Lasso socks are also used to treat foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, Achilles pain, ankle soreness, circulation issues, and more. Check them out at lassogear.com or at lassogear on social media. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. Funny you realize, I don't know if you guys saw the story, you like there was, I don't remember, it was a girl who had like multiple millions of followers and she started like a t-shirt line and she posted, those. posted and she got like one order or something. Yeah. And that's wow. a girl that was a huge influencer, was authentic. And just because you have a lot of followers doesn't mean that people are going to consume what you sell if it doesn't connect to why they are following you, mm -hmm. you know, what they care about, what it comes to you, yeah. you know, but more so I think it creates, I honestly don't think, the other problem it creates is I feel like they're, everybody wants to be known and a celebrity or some sort of public figure. I see that in, in, in people's profiles all the time. They call themselves a public figure. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I do that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I go and I look at their page and I'm like, I, I don't know what you're a public they figure. They just sell for. socks. Like, I want to know what you they do. They just sell yeah. socks. They don't even <laughs> do anything. <laughs> yeah. in a boardroom <laughs> that's funny that's what most people most most people think part that is uh is selling socks it takes They're just uh, like what a only, douche only only elon musk sees that he's selling technology right. actually dude you know what that is probably true i don't think a lot of people understand like what i'm trying to do yeah so they'll figure it out they'll eventually figure it out if I think it's like, you know, if you know, you know. 
I've never thought about that. That's why. Yeah. That's why you have the opportunity you have is because no one else has seen it. Mm. I know. I just necessarily. I don't think I necessarily like. I felt I've always felt like I shared a lot of my story, but I've only shared the past. I've never shared the future. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it's also. I think it's if if everyone saw what you were seeing, then what would make you? What would make this company viable? Mm. Right. Like that. You have to appreciate. It's hard That's to build you, it. You know well, what I mean? But it's also yeah. understanding the step that mattered, right? Like, I, it's like, the, we know this in clothing, right? It's easy. It's a lot. Most people go for trademarks, and trademarks are powerful, powerful protective entities. But if you have a patent on a specific type of technology that's proven, that's that changes you changes the game. Right. Yeah, I, it's true. I mean, if you look at Tesla as a as a layperson, you're just seeing another car brand. Yeah. And you're not understanding it's a tech platform that you know chose to use cars as one one uh, use of the technology, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not the only use. And it's like you know that backside of it, like the uh, the clever part. Not a lot of people care. Mm-hmm. That's fine too. I mean, everyone's not going to care as much about what people, most people who buy your socks care about is when they put them on, okay, these things are comfortable and mm-hmm. they're, they're better than other socks um, that matter. But when you're thinking about it from your perspective, you're also saying, and not a motherfucker in the world can copy this and, and try to sell my socks. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking too, like, honestly, <laughs> I'm thinking, how can I make this thing? as much like regular apparel as possible in look, feel, vibe, etc., but still deliver the medical benefits our product delivers. Yeah. Right? People who people who understand how much like people who've had injuries and understand how much compression socks cost, for example. Yeah. And they see that you have a sock that is thirty dollars, knowing how much they would get charged for mm-hmm. normal compression socks they think yeah. those people get it but if you've yeah. never experienced that and you're the average consumer probably going to ask what's the difference between i could get 10 pair of Hanes socks for this 30 dollars not fully understanding also the medical benefits right in terms of health and wellness that's that's something that there's an education gap that obviously over time you're going to bridge but you, you know, just, you know what it's really like. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna cross a line here, and I'm just gonna say sorry to our listeners for getting crass, but it's the difference between getting a hand job and head. And yeah. for ladies, you can flip that, but that's that's what our socks are like. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, really, maybe that should be the next last. Yeah, I know. <laughs> marketing right there. That's your Super Bowl commercial. But that's really what it is. Like, it's really that different. Like, yeah. I will say, you know, and I can I can say this too, is that I do. It's a game changer, right? Um, yeah. But again, even for me, I I I question things personally if, if it's valuable or not, mm-hmm. and I have to understand the value, right? And. I honestly didn't fully understand the value of what you're doing 
until someone else who recently had an injury, um, they I sent them to your site and they ordered some socks. And they're like, $30, that's it? For real compression socks? He was like, this is cheap. And I was yeah. like, oh, I get it now. You know what I mean? It's not something I'm not thinking about socks. I don't I just go to the store and buy socks. You know? Yeah, for sure. Partha, how is it how important is it for your socks uh from a consumer perspective to look good and feel good versus that's, the medical? That's side? my number one. My belief yeah. is that um like the general premise of lasso is that if you repackage healthcare in a consumer friendly way, people will do preventative health. And mm. so our technology is preventative health. The way it's integrated into apparel is essentially done in a way that it doesn't change the consumer experience of essentially dressing yourself on day to day basis. Yeah, it's yeah. marketed toward people who would already be wearing athleisure. And so we're essentially just swapping out all the generic athleisure products people wear for things that actually benefit them and help contribute to, you know, both recovery and preventative health in a meaningful way. And so, like, that's, like, the macro. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, think it matters, ma like, entirely, to be honest. I think that's the only thing that matters. I want to I I ask this question to, to both, both of you guys in terms of how your minds work and how a technological mind works versus the common person, right? Um, how did you guys kind of see that, like, for example, in Face, you do a lot of design work for brands and development of apps um, as well, and you really focus on the look and feel of those apps. How did you guys identify that I needed to be in the in the space where I'm advancing technology and, and creating something unique in the marketplace versus kind of sticking with a formula that, that kind of already works? Mm -hmm. I'll go. I mean, I think, uh, I think, you know, there's like a delay there, at least for me, there was a delay between finding the point where I, there was a point where I definitely idealized the idea of being someone that creates change or changes things. I think technology is like a beautiful lens. If you grew up in the last 20, 30 years to kind of press on, just be, you know, if you look at the, our most recent history, it's just all been driven by technology. So I think that was the first step where I, I think I was just interested in history and, and just naturally it was easy for me to see that like technology has changed everything we've done over the last hundred years. So I think it's the easiest hammer for when you think about change. Um, but I think it got to the, I think, I mean, I could have always wanted that. I never actually gone into building technology. And I think like the process of actually putting time into going through the experience to realize is that I actually, you know, have conviction that I have the mind to create technology that can solve problems. Like, I think that's a, that was a different event than the time that I wanted to create technology to solve problems. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, that does. That yeah. second event, you know, by the way, V, I've, I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. So I appreciate you asking it because the thought is formed, but I know all of us probably have thought about this, but don't sh don't just go around like, you know, flexing on people, right? Yeah. But <laughs> I think similar to Nafisa's second point, saying that he had the mind for what he wanted to do, I recognized at a young age that 
it was easy for me to outperform everybody. And in high school, I did it with no effort. In college, I did it with some effort, but like significantly outperform people who are working twice as hard as me. Yeah. And there was a point where, you know, we had a like we had a calculus test. The the calculus professor was regarded as the toughest professor in the history of Georgia Tech, which, by the way, is ranked the number one toughest school in the U.S. So this is supposed to be the hardest class ever. The average on our tests was around a 30 percent every test. And we only had three tests. So second test comes around. First one I did above average. I got like a 65 average is a 30. Second one comes around. And I had studied some stuff the day before, but I had kind of been a little bit lazy about studying for this one because I had other, other stuff going on that I was working on. So I read the book and just flipped through the pages. I went to sleep in my dreams because i was focused on this before i went to bed i was reading i just had flipped through all the pages of the chapters i hadn't read those two chapters and i read through them word for word in my dream i did all of the math problems i learned and understood in the dream how the mechanisms work but going to the test the next day every question is from those last two chapters of the like seven chapters the test was over and many many people in the class has not done the last two chapters average on the test was like a 20. I got a 95. I missed one yeah. question. It was because I forgot a negative sign when I wrote the answer and circled it. Mm -hmm. And that, and, and it's fascinating too, is it's also, you really understand that some people's minds are trained to be really skilled. Like math came easy to you clearly. Right? Numbers. Yeah. Numbers and all of that. And it was like, it was a moment where I was just like, that's like a thing that I need to use mm -hmm. in a and way. It's interesting yeah. for me. It was it was like the the opposite. I'm a very practical minded person overall. Like as far as math goes, I was really good at arithmetic and algebra, but geometry and calculus were not my thing. Right? I, I was good at stats. I was good at arithmetic, and I was good at algebra. Geometry and calculus, I was like, this is too, I'm never going to use this shit in real life. I didn't think that I was going to. Right? And but when it came to reading comprehension and anything related to verbal function that stuff came so easy to me and naturally reading if i read something those reading and comprehension tests on the sats it was easy for me i'd fin i breeze through those things in five minutes so that's why mm -hmm. it's also important i think it's not a flex but what happened part is you recognize what you were really good at early on mm -hmm. right and I think everybody has one of these things, but the reason I get cautious and I think we all get cautious is because people who have not found their things act like you were born with something they didn't have. And they use that as an excuse for their lack of ambition or effort, or they sometimes take it out on you. And I think it's just like, I think everybody needs to realize like they have the same magic in them. They just have to let it come out. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's understanding the race that you're running. Like, yeah. You don't need to be good at every single thing that you do. That's a misconception that people have. But if you can find what you're good at and you're passionate about, because there are some people who are naturally gifted at something, but that's not their passion, right? And, and so that can be a problem as well. But you need to 
identify what your talent is or what you care. First of all, it's not even recognize your talents. It's also recognizing what you care about first, right? And like mm -hmm. what you care about being good at, if you care about being good at it, then you'll put the effort into being good at it. Otherwise you won't. Yeah. And that's always how I've worked. If I'm not passionate about something, it'll, my effort, I'll, I'll get by and I'll breeze, breeze through it. But mm -hmm. that's an important point. You shouldn't do things you don't like to do. You just shouldn't do them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. You can't. People, people don't talk about that enough. I feel like we have a culture where, you know, we just put up with, uh, you're kind of bred to just put up with how, what life hands to you <laughs> instead of just throwing the bullshit away. Well, everyone's kind of being programmed to fit into certain groups, you know, and, and the fear of failure is something like that drives a lot of people. If you look at most of like the people who are, for example, in the fortune, you know, the Forbes hundred richest people or whatever you, you know, if you look at it, it's like, and you look at their track record, it's like, there's only one thing that they were really, really successful at. You know, it's hard to duplicate, duplicate success, right? Mm -hmm. They've all tried other things, but it, there's that one thing that defined them and made them, uh, and they've never been able to duplicate that success. So that's why it's also important to identify what you're good at, mm -hmm. because it's, this isn't an easy game that the probabilities aren't high in terms of actually becoming successful by the way mm -hmm. i just want to just want to talk some shit real quick there's this dude back in atlanta Sanae and i used to always get so frustrated because this dude he had sold some company during the tech boom right yeah it just got lucky essentially he didn't even sell it for that much he sold it for like you know, 10, 15 million. Yeah, I'm not going to drop names, but he sold it for like 10, 15 million. And the people who bought it sold it for like a billion, like a year <laughs> later. <laughs> and so it's like he would always talk down to everybody he met with and act yeah. like he knew be better, like no matter what. And it used to just piss me off because I was just like, dude, like not only did you get lucky, you weren't even smart when you knew you were lucky. Like mm -hmm. you were stupid while you were lucky and you somehow ended up with $10 million. Like what yeah. the fuck do you bring to the table? You know what I mean? Like why should I even listen to you or your unqualified ass opinion? And I'm so sick of people fucking being like that in this world, like acting like they actually know something. Nobody knows anything. Not even yeah. Elon has been contacted by our alien friends, right? Yeah. So literally no one knows anything. Everyone's getting lucky. And it's all about what you yeah, do yeah. and the luck that you're given. Mark Cuban is a great story. To to contrast your guy from, from Mark Cuban. <laughs> yeah, Cuban the the other way. Yeah. Yeah. The Cuban's Cuban story is he sold a company that's pretty much completely useless and became mm -hmm. a billionaire. And he knew it was completely useless. But what he did recognize, he was an entrepreneur from a young age. He recognized a trend and he created a a, a company that had potential value within that trend and got out when the going was good to get out, right? But yeah. then he also knew what he cared about. There's nothing Mark Cuban cares about more than owning the Dallas Mavericks, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so he took that and he was able to put his energy and his money towards something that he actually cares about. And, and it grew a ton, dude. And it grew mm -hmm. a ton. And then also, he's also grown as, you know, he's 
he's got a lot of wisdom when it comes to how to operate as an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. especially at this stage of his career he's he's mm. become much more uh you know tempered in his age yeah. much wiser he has a really uh, active voice you know which you don't see in a lot of entrepreneurs his age you know, he jumps yeah. on twitter and will talk shit about stuff like that's an important trait to have i think when you're at that stage you have a, a qualified opinion like <laughs> like you would say yeah you should yeah. use it yeah, and he uh, and he's not scared. He has a presence. He's a he's, you know, uh, uh, won't disclose too much. But I had a good good night with with him um, at the All Star game. And the thing about him is, he's current. He he, he's current and he's present in the moment. He doesn't he doesn't he he knows how to identify how to treat people. Right. Mm. I don't know how to describe it, but, but that's he, how he got to where he's at. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like x-factor ability to deal with people some people everyone has some level i think everyone at that level that you know within that echelon like they have some ultra level of intelligence in one category you know his might be social knowing him it's yeah. usually social intelligence if you have social intelligence but sometimes it's not look at Dude, i mean he owned the most pop and bar on uh, iu's campus when he right. went there i mean he had a wealth of different experiences to help him understand how the people, the fans who come to the Dallas Mavericks games, what they care about and what they value, what the players, because what he was doing at the time was pretty revolutionary, right? What his players needed to perform mm -hmm. at their best. And that's why their facilities were better than everyone else's right. early on. They were like the trailblazers in that. Um, and then also just, you know, uh, it's funny though. Those are pretty basic practices in the tech industry. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> He was the first like tech owner, really. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else was private equity before that, and they treated all their players like financial interns. Right, right. <laughs> and then the way he was like super vocal and like stood side by side with the players, just like through everything. Know, yeah. Like still, like, still, yeah. they he banned yeah. they 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 were the first team to stop playing the national anthem. The Dude, after the hurricane, he flew um, JJ Bray and a bunch of supplies to Puerto Rico. Yeah on his plane yeah he's a genuinely like that's that whole mindset he has an abundance mindset mm. uh, and that's why so many people who he gives his his time he interacts with people um and is 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 as genuine as authentic as you can get he hasn't lost himself or what he cares about in the process of oh i'm rich you know he's he's been cool too because like I've cold emailed him a couple times. We've had lengthy conversations just via email. Like he responds, he like legitimately responds to everybody. Yeah, he does. He does. And so He's... that's like in itself very, very difficult to do. Like that's impressive. Yeah, and accessible and accessible of billionaire is something that if you have access to, you take advantage of. Not for trying to access their money, but accessing their brain and how it you works. Know, this dude is like pretty public too about how accessible he is. Mm -hmm. And still, yeah. I know very, very few people who have cold emailed him. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> Same thing with Gary Vee. They say Gary Vee responds to everything. You know? I bet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Gary Vee doesn't even sleep. I feel like he just sits there all night. Right. Responding to I don't think Gary, I don't <laughs> That's think how he reaches. Sign up for wine text. Yeah, he starts <laughs> responding and then his eyes close and he does that all night while he rests. No, I like how 
he built that brand up and then he just created the phone number that texts everyone wine texts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great fun. I don't I think Gary V is a bot. <laughs> yeah, I think he's AI. a deep fake. Right. <laughs> oh, There's no way that that's humanly possible. You know, that man you know what, has so much energy. Yeah. You know what Cuban has? Partha, we were talking the other day about uh we were talking about like essentially quant- like quantifying the idea behind leadership. And so we're saying leadership becomes at scale, it becomes like your ability to be aware of how you can use your power and then being principled in the way you use it. And that's like Cuban at every step, right? Like super yeah. tactical, super aware of the moves that he can make, whether it's tweeting about some shit that he doesn't really need to tweet about or, or going on a private jet to help some people and then having really good principles with the way he moves himself. So we want to follow that direction. Yeah. That's like the greatest of leadership. Yeah, relatability is actually one of the most important attributes when you're when you are um tasked with leading large groups of people or have employees right if if you can't put yourself in the shoes of of your lowest income employee and your highest income employee and everyone in between and understanding like the rules and things that are important to me versus someone who's trying to survive and t- keep a roof over their family's head to understand the differences between those those groups of people and never never operate from a position of entitlement mm-hmm. is is i think the greatest attribute of any any great any great leader right right that's what they have absolutely yeah, yeah. because if they if they have the ability to make change but they can bring empathy to it I mean, that's how you actually positively affect people, not just the people that, you know, you want or are like you. Speaking of, uh, of, of empathy, this was a topic we, uh, we talked about over text is, uh, um, empathy and is a, is a important word culturally that we're dealing with in America right now, because I feel like we're dev- there's a lot of divisiveness going on, whether it's as great as it, as it looks or the media mm-hmm. makes it look is that, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Lin's recent issues mm-hmm. or commentary oh, yeah. he had because there's been a rash or significant increase against in hate crimes against Asian Americans. Um, and I believe in the league that he was in, people started calling him coronavirus sure. as, uh, um, as as trash talking you know wow. and and he was just he was just talking about how you know people misconstrue and and don't understand that there are each race in this country deals with race a different type of racism mm-hmm. and it's not just a different type but it's just i think what happens is you get so caught up in what you're identifying with and what you're dealing with it's sometimes hard to see that this is a common problem that it's it's packaged differently but it seems like a common theme that we deal with right you have foreigner bias you have racial bias you have skin complexion bias you have language bias you know how do we just i don't know if you can even like how do you control something like this because he's like i'm not gonna rat out whoever has been calling me that because, mm. you know, I'm not. Bro, here's my thing. 
this is this is i don't know maybe i'll come across a little ignorant but like who cares dude like it's really not i just don't feel like it's that big of a deal within the context of everything that's going on that jeremy lynn has some shit to like complain about you know what i mean like dude like okay someone's bullying you on the playground like i don't really give a fuck like i just don't well i look i don't care too much about him but i put it in against the 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 background which he's making the commentary which is yeah, but i mean uh, that, significant that should, significant there is a significant it's always increase. there right so it's There's like a significant increase no but it's it's i think it's the, the context that he was trying to provide it in was it's like a it's like a trending news story, right? I mean, uh, does that mean that it's, it's to your point, Partha, was it always there? Or is it just trending news now? Well, for like a maybe. year, anti-Asian violence has been up, especially right yeah. after the pandemic struck. So, yeah. you know, that's like a known thing, right? So it's like, I mean, I don't know what what the goal is because it's like raising awareness for these things, in my opinion, does not solve these things. It's weird because I I think awareness is a good is an important tool. I think it's it's a little messed up because our culture or society has kind of created this process where it's like we generate awareness around something and then we move into like condemnation and then cancellation, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's that's not necessarily. I think that's like maybe the macro goal when some of this stuff happens. It's like let's just con, you know bring so much awareness that all of a sudden everyone's afraid to act a certain way because they'll get canceled. And it's not the same as true behavior change. It's just building walls around people. The thing, the reason that people need to be aware in this country, and, I'm, and not to not to be crass, yeah. is because we have a lot of ignorant motherfuckers in this country that need to be made aware of certain things, and that's the sense of entitlement. If if people but come, to the, do if, we? Do we need to make other people aware that break these rules or are we just projecting our own values onto somebody else? Like if somebody wants to talk to you away, isn't it kind of on you for listening? Like obviously when someone initiates violence, it crosses a line, not disagreeing there. But why, why is adults talking shit about other adults? something that we need to all talk about because, when only the people what not about, doing because the belief about system what is, about in the context of violence yeah. you know, you know in, in the context of violence yeah. it's important to mention that but i think it's more important to call the police i think that's how you deal with the violence side of it but i think the conversation yields very little fruit because it's a bunch of people who already don't do that just essentially you know, masturbating on their own values and just virtue signaling to each other about what they stand for. When at the end of the day, the people actually doing this shit don't give a fuck, aren't reading those outlets anyway that this content is being distributed on. And ultimately it, it accomplishes very little, if, if anything. Well, I, I don't, I don't necessarily um, agree with that because the, the thing about awareness is, is, is this right because of beliefs belief systems and we've learned this throughout throughout history and this is why um unchecked belief systems lead to um and, and not bringing awareness to certain things mm. lead to things like nazi germany um they lead to things like mao zedong they lead to things like the I, I don't think those are good examples though because that would only be one of many 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 factors that led to those no outcomes. but it's, it's not just a lack of you, you have to have a culture in which which you say there if you 
if you do not set boundaries, and this is an individual life too, if you do not set boundaries on what you are willing to accept and not accept from people, if you, the person that is dealing with that stuff, if you don't set the values, the, the power structure will not set those values. And it's very important in terms of how people handle you and how people dictate you in business and in That's your per in, in personal life, that there's certain ways and certain mm. things that you're not. So I will I will agree a hundred percent on that. I think that's a really good point that if you if someone doesn't speak up on behalf of it, then mm -hmm. it won't get spoken up for. I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. However, I genuinely don't really give a shit about Jeremy Lin's perspective on this. And and that's a fair point. You don't have to. You yeah. know, you it's don't have to because it's like I, that that's funny because I was reading a bunch of stuff you probably saw it about like uh Ibrahimovic basically telling LeBron, like, stop. You know, some you're, bullshit. You're, yeah, he was like, you're an athlete, you know, stop talking about politics. And of course, it's like, it, it's a little bit easier to say that maybe in that context, because there's a very vocal, like, Black Lives Matter movement. But like, this one's weird, because there, I don't know, like, who's, how many higher profile Asian people are there in our society to speak up? So when one does, or the first there's, one does, there's, you kind of got to give them... I think it's, it's like, plenty, it's like but right? okay, here's where Jeremy Lin has lost his credibility on race to me is the amount of time he spent talking about the fact that he was going to grow dreads, then grew dreads, then gotten a beef with Kenyon Martin, whose opinion doesn't really matter. I know they were former teammates about the fact that he had dreads. The whole thing was such a dramatic saga. For me, this was just another reach for like, hey, can I please be relevant and play in the NBA again as opposed to, you know, actually me I, I don't find jeremy lynn a credible source on any sort of opinion of that what about what out of, just out of curiosity what do you think about kaepernick i like kaepernick a lot but to me i don't kaepernick find him lynn, productive situation I, exactly same thing but i like kaepernick a lot more than i like jeremy lynn because i don't feel i feel like kaepernick has made a, a real different sacrifice. presence he's made a real sacrifice right whether mm -hmm. or not you think it's fair or yeah. not or, or how much he has not he was a viable NFL quarterback that could have made six to seven to eight million dollars a year, and by just getting in line, and he made a sacrifice. Now, where I have a problem is when people start comparing Kaepernick's sacrifice to what Muhammad Ali sacrificed, and what other people who have mm. you know, Kaepernick had already made a hundred million dollars by the time by yeah. the time he decided to take that the stand and become woke. Yeah. So the price. Well, wasn't I mean, just to point it back, like I'm not trying to hate on Lynn, but I just don't. If you don't respect someone and you don't I, like, if you don't like, if you feel like they're just coming across like they're whining about something versus trying to really address the problem, what I do think, you know, or Nafisa's point out is if people in America who aren't Jeremy Lynn don't speak up, who actually have a public platform, it's not on the news every day that violence against Asian Americans is increasing. So well, media is not bringing attention to it. And he has a platform by which to do that. And he does that and also gives co proper context to what something that he's dealing with. I mean, if you want to tune it out, you can tune it out. But why should you have an issue with him kind of expressing how he feels to the platform. No, I, I think it's fair. I think it's fair for him to express it, right? I just don't think it should have been covered. Like, I don't find that to be yeah. newsworthy or relevant by any means, right? Like, I would rather hear somebody 
who has context on the, the actual problem at hand and like maybe a police chief in a city where it's been, you know, going up, like that would be more important so to, me, to me. It's like a means to an end process when you see these like celebrities step up and speak up, which is like, I agree that it's probably more contextually accurate to have the police chief of, you know, San Francisco or something talk about it, but that's going to get like 10 views. And so yeah. like if the, if the macro, you know, means to an end, if the macro end that we're looking for is like people get aware of this issue and change, then you probably do need that person that has a megaphone attached to them everywhere they go, no matter what they do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's undeniable. It has positive impact. I think, you know, it just definitely like, okay. rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Well, look, I get it. I get let's it. move yeah. beyond the, the Jeremy Lin thing, but yeah. I do want to talk about the this Latin thing because I was a, yeah. a big fan. I've, I've followed his soccer career, so it's not like I, this is the first time I've heard about him. He's actually someone early on in his career. He's an ethnic minority in the country that mm -hmm. he's from, Sweden, and he would voice constantly about the issues that he kind of dealt with. Mm -hmm. uh, being an ethnic minority, right? And then to turn around and do this speaks to the level of entitlement that he has um, to be able to just go and play soccer, right? Yeah. Like, And then to go on and then speak directly about LeBron James, who is, how, how do you diss someone who's, regardless of the fact that he's speaking out, his actions are supporting his words, right? Mm -hmm. Like, whether or not you like LeBron or you don't like what he's doing or you personally, you cannot argue with the impact that he's, he's actually making in terms of trying to change the dynamic internally himself. Right. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I think here in this analogy, I would rescind my hate toward Jeremy Lin because yeah, I really don't have a place to speak in the same way as Latan doesn't. Yep. 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 What a and, nice parallel. Oh, yeah, well, that's a good trans transition. That was some growth. Well, the, <laughs> the context y'all like saw it live. Look it's at that. That's what a too. that's what growth looks like. Wow. But the, you know that context you provided with Ibrahimovic, I didn't even know that. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not a huge soccer fan. I think it's interesting the fact that uh, you know I wouldn't have anticipated that he went through some sort of similar plight and then turned around and had that reaction. Like maybe it comes from a place of innocence. Maybe he maybe he had a really bad reaction when trying to speak up and maybe it just went really poorly for him and maybe it's just a general piece of advice that he's trying to give off you know like uh, it's it's i agree with you that it comes from that place of entitlement where he can just go play soccer and be super rich and and you know those problems that affected him 20 years ago probably don't anymore but yeah. it, maybe it's an honest piece of advice he's trying to give athletes where it's like hey this might be more trouble than it's worth yeah the, I, he can that conversation could have gone completely differently if he provided the, the proper content sure. and he would have just said look there's certain athletes who get so focused on things outside of what they're what people pay them to do right and especially if you're not educated there are a lot of people who speak out on issues without being properly educated but the example you point out definitely cannot be lebron james yeah. and that's the thing in the context of lebron yeah it's just it's not it's a good a, context. Not a good argument at all. Yeah. And it, and that's where you creep in. This is entitlement. This And this is also in the light of a recent confrontation he got with a um, Lukaku. They mm -hmm. got into a real confrontation. And in that confrontation, Vlatan had 
basically thrown racial slurs at Lukaku's on the field when they got that Whoa. they got it to physical. So in the background of that, it's like, okay, why are you why are you calling this guy out? Is it are you yeah. motivated by right? And are you is there something else? Or here is he that, just looking for like headlines? Probably, probably just dealing with some shit. It's a weird muzzle to put on the issue when you think about the history soccer's had. It's even recent, like so much recently with with like open racial slurs and things like that in yeah. soccer. It's a weird thing to try to suppress. I, I agree. That's an interesting thought, though, Parthon. That happens a lot. It's like name dropping LeBron James and creating controversy around LeBron James is going to create conversation around you. What do you guys think about that idea? in today's world that all attention is good intention good or bad like mm. being in the headline for something scandalous or being in the headlines is it all valuable noise i think it's i don't know i think i think it the rules have changed where i do think it's easy to redefine your image if you make a mistake even with cancel culture i think it's easier than ever now to, if you if you make a mistake you can come back and you can rebuild your image and rebrand yourself because you have control over you know that 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 asset or the production of that image yeah that's a good point and i would say like if you did go out there and say some shit that's mad ignorant and get in a bunch of trouble then that's probably like that was probably kind of like an ego decision you made you know (laughs) but if it's like if it's your calling to truly like speak truth to people um and that leads to some controversy along the way i think it's a totally different feeling like it's mm-hmm. it's the good kind of controversy not mm-hmm. the bad kind right mm-hmm. and i think that i think that both can be monetarily productive but the good kind of controversy is long term like effective and the bad mm-hmm. kind of controversy is extremely short term i mean that's where like a 69 you know like mm-hmm. where is he now nobody knows right and he's probably going to get like the second he anyone finds him from any of the gangs he's pissed off like he's in he's in a bad spot you know as soon as he does he runs out of money to be able to pay for security right yeah that's so really like, what the that's a taken. crazy life to be living and that's what happens when you get that clout the wrong way mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it goes back to creating value versus creating attention yeah i think there are there are a lot of people who know how to create attention around themselves um you know and Sometimes they don't think about that. And it's, it's also disruptive to your, it's all about what you can handle, right? I wouldn't want to have to deal with everything that comes with intentionally creating negative energy in the world, right? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. want those problems. I don't want that smoke. It's, it's a result of the technology we use too, because everything is just quantified agnostically to that is a good or bad intention. It's just likes and views, you know, it, it has good nothing to do with great. Yeah. No, not at all. And so, like, I think that inevitably us as a society probably has to build some, like, soft definition of good and bad attention. But I think we're just kind of reeling with what is it like to manage attention at this scale? Like, I don't think we figured that out yet. Yeah. 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 Attention, interactions, you know, how to navigate the digital world versus the physical. That's like a whole different paradigm we're still getting accustomed to. Yeah, it's easy to compromise values and beliefs, and it's a lot harder to set them in a digital world where everyone can kind of create their own mm-hmm. goals and identities, right? That's, yeah, because like six six nine is going to get the same currency as 
you know, Michelle Obama, <laughs> you know, it's just a bunch of likes on Instagram. There is really yeah, no. Yeah. And can you blame these people for in the society if they're trying to make and they know because technically he, he, although it was short lived, he was able to become the center of attention and create success for himself by creating a lot of chaos. Right. Yeah. But to your point about lottery winners earlier, V, you know, yeah. you can you can tell who wasn't like who got lucky and ended up in that situation with the wrong values versus like who worked their way there. Yep. Yep. Ooh. Yep. Can't shortcut growth. Definitely can't do that. Dang man. Dude, well, on the note of you being on vacation. Yes. Let's, let's go ahead and get this pilot it. voice spring break over so you can go. Yeah, go get the hot tub, get some champagne, bro. Hot tub and lasso time. Yeah. Have to get some sleep so I can be recharged for when I get back. How long are you in Cancun for? Uh, longer? We're leaving tomorrow, man. Tomorrow? Uh, yeah. Another fun? day, bro. Yeah, thing That's the conversation. We'll see where, where that one goes. But you should stay two more days. That's what happens every time, man. You should, man. You work, you work, you work harder than me and Partha. Yeah, <laughs> we go to the beach like twice a week. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you work hard, man. You're always in the snow in Ohio. And it's it's time to. Uh, it's been a nice break, but then you get if you stay too long, you get in that mindset of like live you know, in that I'm, mindset, V. Just live in that for a little bit. Nate. Hey, it's, I lived in that mindset. I had to live in that mindset for all of 2020. It's 2021. Yeah. <laughs> now we gotta, we gotta figure some things out, man. It's yeah, time man. to get back. Time to get back on the horse. It's gonna be a good year, though. I think. Uh, yeah, 20, you're gonna come join join us in LA, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the next trip. So it's funny because on the uh, on the video screen that we're recording on it actually looks like me and Nafis are sitting on both like two sides of a couch and V you're like in the middle in a completely different context. I know it's crazy. <laughs> Which is basically the situation. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I, I, I hope that I was, uh, I made sense through this podcast because I've had a, a, a long and entertaining day, but I tried to keep my, keep my headspace clear enough to get through this thing. We're yeah. good. I think we all managed to stay lucid. <laughs> well with that said that's uh another episode in in the books episode 71 special edition special edition vacation edition spring uh, breakers we'll see you guys uh next week remember to stay moving and always be you you is fly um, stay fly i will be back in the states with either tomorrow or the next day Pilot boys out. Pilot boys, we get on now.